Well, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. You can all be seated, sorry. It's just, yeah, I think, you know, talking about trust, I just trust you'll do the right things. You know, you know what to do, you know when to stand up, when to sit down, right? Done it, done it before, it'll be fine. <laughs> but seriously, it's, it's really, Nathan's looking at me funny like I've done something weird. Oh, okay. He's, he's misbehaving. Yeah. You can trust he'll do that. I'm, I'm just going to apologise in advance if there's lots of really bad jokes about trust. Just... So I just wanted to, I guess, start by sharing a little story I had uh, recently that is related to trust, but it's also just related to possibly how silly I am sometimes. So I had to um, go somewhere, and it's somewhere I've been a few times, so I kind of vaguely knew how to get there. Like, I knew how to get to the right suburb, and I was like, I think it's around here. So, you know, did the responsible thing and turned on maps. I was like, yep, I'll just follow along, it'll be great. But then I started driving, and maps was telling me to turn a different direction. I was, I was just, now that's not the way you go, Google. You've got it wrong. So I'll go the right way, and then when I get closer, you'll tell me where it is. You'll catch up. It'll be fine. So just driving along, went the way that I thought was the right way. Um, and it was the right way, but as I turned onto kind of the second to last street to head towards that final suburb, um, I discovered that Google was trying to tell me to go, to go another way because there was a lot of roadworks happening. So instead of getting to cruise along at 80 for about 5Ks, I got to, um, you know, chug along at about 40. So it wasn't the most fun part of the journey. And look, ended up being a few minutes late. It's not the end of the world. But it's one of those frustrating things. And it really made me stop and think, I'm like, why didn't I just do what map says. It knows things I don't know. <laughs> Why didn't I just do it? And then kind of, maybe then it went a little bit existential, but thought about, well, maybe it's just my generation. We've got this weird relationship with technology. In some ways we trust it and we use it for everything. But I know for people about my age, we also don't trust it. Um, because we grew up, in a very formative period of our life with the internet was new and we don't trust it because we know that we all lied on the internet. So it's really hard to then trust and take everything you see on the internet as truth, you know. We all knew people, friends, shall we say, who maybe had like a fake MySpace profile, might be dating myself there, or, you know, <laughs> Facebook, they lied about their age to get on it because you had to be a certain age or, you know, oh, I just, this is just my, like, non-public profile that I might use to, like, stalk somebody I like or somebody who I used to date and don't date anymore or, you know... Yeah, look, there's, these are just some, some things that I've heard out and about in the world. It's not necessarily true. But then I feel like some of that's now evolved and, you know, so people have their carefully curated Instagram feed with all the beautiful edited pictures, but then there's the spam, ugly daily life photos that you only let certain people know exist. So sorry if I'm outing anybody there. Um, but we've all learned how to, I think, look at the things we see online quite critically, because everything we see, we go, uh, somebody's put that on there. Do I trust that person? Have they done the right thing? Have they lied? You know, we went through that whole thing where Facebook was full of fake news and 
all of that drama and then, you know, makes us look at the sources for everything we read. You know, you've got to check it on Snopes. Is it credible? Has it been fact-checked? You know, without fact-checking, is Snopes worthy to be fact-checked? You know, there's, there's this whole culture of mistrust about everything we see on the internet. And I think probably for my generation, because we grew up with that, it's taught us to kind of doubt <laughs> and see everything through a lens of cynicism because we were, I guess, lucky enough to have it while we were going on. But then I think what I've seen is then it, it's reflected in the way we communicate. So I was going to catch up with a friend yesterday because they've got a new puppy, which is exciting. So I wanted to go meet the puppy. and like, I'll bring you a coffee. It was all organised. Um, saw them Friday and I was like, see you tomorrow. But then, you know, Saturday morning I still get a message asking, hey, are you okay? Like, you're still coming over? I, yeah, yeah, I, I said I would. And so it's... <laughs> And so you kind of go, ah, oh, I thought I was a reliable, you know, dependable person. But there's something about us that we all want to crave that validation, crave that confirmation that somebody's going to do what they've said they're going to do. Because we've all been let down before. It's not, it's not something new that we've never experienced. Oh, I've never been let down. I mean, if you have, good for you. Um, I think you're probably the unique one here. But... We, we definitely appreciate that. <laughs> but then I think the problem is then when we take that concept of that we need to crave that reassurance, that you'll give the person a gentle reminder that they're going to do that thing that we've asked them to do, that we can't bring that into the way we interact with God. Because he's not human. The way his relationship with us works is very different. You know, we don't need to confirm plans with God. <laughs> um, he's pretty reliable um, and so a lot of that is because we know his character. So in Exodus 34, God literally tells Moses who he is, which is really handy. So in verse 6, it says, The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. So we know who he is. He tells us he's compassionate, merciful, He's patient, he's loving, he is faithful. Other versions talk about him as being loyal in love or abounding in goodness and truth. And so it's that last word that I really want to focus on today. So either that faithfulness or truth. So did a bit of the research and it's the Hebrew word emet, which can be translated as faithfulness or truth. And the fun fact I came out of it was that it's kind of the root of where we get the word amen which basically translates to be, that's true, or, you know, maybe true that, if you're, no. Um, but, it's, but it's more than just saying, this is true. It's about the relationship that comes from that. And so kind of like, if something is true, then we know we can trust it. And if we can trust it, then we know it's worthy of trust or trustworthy. And so here God is telling us that we can actually put our trust in him. And this word, it's found all over the Bible. And so, yeah, like I said, sometimes it literally means truth. So it could mean that God is saying he is a God full of truth, which we then know we can trust because he is true. But there's also that relational aspect between, you know, faithfulness and trustworthy. Because being faithful and trustworthy is being someone who tells the truth, sure. But it's also that we can trust in that person because of what they've done before. So, 
you know, one of the examples is Proverbs 12. It says, truthful words stand the test of time, but lies are soon exposed. And so some versions talk about it as being lips of truth, which I think is such a great picture for the way that God speaks to us, that he speaks truth into our life. But this, this whole word, this whole concept of trust, truth, and faithfulness, it's more than just about telling the truth. Sure, we should, we should all be doing that. It's, it's a good thing. And, you know, God does that. But it's about the quality of the person who's talking, and it's about the quality of them telling the truth, about them being faithful and reliable to always tell the truth. And they've demonstrated that dependability. So in Psalm 31, 5, um, the psalmist cries out, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, my Lord, my faithful God. If you're in that moment where you're going to be asking for deliverance, you're going to want to be able to depend on that person that you're crying out to. Uh, you, you want to make sure that it's someone who's actually going to be able to help, that you know they are going to show up when they said they are. And so this whole concept of like God being reliable and dependable and you know, stable and someone we can trust on, it's all throughout the Bible. And so I think for me, one of the great stories of this and that whole picture of that stability, that steadiness that comes from it is um, in Exodus 17 when uh, the Israelites and the Amalekites are fighting and Moses is up on the mountain overseeing and so the whole story of when he's lifting his hands up with the staff the Israelites are winning and then when he gets tired and falls down then the Amalekites start winning and so in that verse he gets you know his friends Aaron and Hur come and give him a rock to sit on and they help hold up his hands and you know the Israelites win the day but the word used in that verse is actually emet again, that he says he hands held steady. So it's again, it's another picture of how God's truth, his faithfulness comes through as being steady. And so often, you know, we see that as when we refer to God as being a rock. Because, I mean, in human lifetimes, rocks generally don't change without intervention. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and so in, in Exodus 34, maybe that's why God puts that picture of faithfulness as the last word in the list of characteristics, because he's saying, yes, I am compassionate and merciful, I'm slow to anger, I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, but he's saying as that last emphasis that this is who I am, I am this stable, dependable rock and I do not change. So you can count on me to be compassionate. You can count on me to be merciful. You can trust that I'm going to be slow to anger and patient and filled with love because that's who I am and I don't change. And so to me, that's such a good picture for who trust is in the Bible because it's a relationship. You need to know that other person to be involved. You know, we see it all throughout the Bible. Everybody in the Bible trusted God in the face of whatever circumstances they were in because he'd proven himself to be trustworthy time and time and time again. There was always evidence of him being true, which enabled people to then trust in him. And so our relationship with God really revolves around that concept of trust and faith. As with, I mean, honestly, all our relationships, our relationships with people are all based on trust, based on the evidence of what we've seen in them and in their lives and what we've seen and what we've experienced. So that's why it's important, I think, because it's not about just blind trust or blind faith, because, you know, we just trust in God just because. 
But he has shown us through history, through stories in the Bible, through our lives and the people's lives around us, that he is dependable, that he is faithful, that we can count on him, we can rely on him. And so it's not this just just trust, just believe, everything will be okay. It's God saying, no, there's evidence. You have seen it time and time again. You know you can trust on this. And so, look, there's a whole bunch of stories all throughout the Bible of it. You know, we see it, God's promises and to Abraham, you know, that he'll be the father of many nations. And he's telling it when he's old and his wife is past the age of childbearing. And so, but Abraham still trusts in God. And what does God do? He delivers that promise and it comes through. We see it in the story with David, you know, where he's promised to be a shepherd, when he's to be the king, when he's just a shepherd. And all of a sudden we start seeing it come through. And then, you know, God's promised that David's line will endure forever. And we see that that continued all the way through to the story of Jesus, who's a fulfillment of all of these prophecies that God again has proven his faithfulness, proven that we can trust him, that we can rely on him. So he's consistent in his love and his faithfulness, which is why we can trust him. But trust for us, it actually takes some action on our part. It's not just a static thing. We're not just go, oh yeah, got that thought locked in my head. Yeah, I can trust God. Cool. Move on with my life. We actually need to do something with it. Because it's more than just a belief, but like, does our life actually demonstrate that we trust in God? We need to look back and remember in our lives the truth, the faithfulness we've seen, the promises that God has kept, and remember that and remember how he has been true to his word and how he has been constant and loyal in love. And that's why we're then called to trust in him, because the evidence we've seen shows that he is trustworthy. So then, where do we go from here? So for me, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So let's unpack that a little bit. What does that mean? To me, it says, don't base your level of trust in God on your interactions with other people. Don't base it on your own understanding of what you've seen when you've been dealing with other people. Base it on what God has done. And then, you know, seek his will in all you do. So it's about don't make decisions for your future without consulting him first and factoring his promises and his truth in. It's about stopping sometimes and asking God and getting his guidance before you move on. I mean, how often do we decide what we're going to do without praying about it first? I mean, probably that's not the question we want to ask because it's not always the great answer. Um, I know I don't always do it as much as I should. You know, I think probably I do it for those really big life-altering moments. You know, it's a, this is a big decision. I better stop and pray about it. But there's a lot of kind of middle-of-the-road decisions where you go, eh, I've got this. I'm pretty capable, you know. I know things, I'm, you know, I'm pretty smart, it'll be fine, I'll work it out. And I'm not advocating that we need to be praying over things like, you know, which underwear to put on in the morning, because that probably isn't about seeking God's will. It's not really about choosing which path your life is going to take. But some of those decisions, we don't realise 
that they are a decision that's shaping the path we're going to take. We just roll on and go, oh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just go apply for that job or I'll do whatever because it's what I want to do and it's easy and, you know, got to work it out in the end. So, but then I guess for me, it's, it's really easy to miss and I am working at it, <laughs> not saying I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but we know that sometimes this whole concept of like just stopping and taking a moment can be really hard because we're all busy, we all have lives, we all have things going on, or the decision is gonna be time sensitive and we need to make it relatively quickly. But I guess my question is, can we really not afford to take that moment? What, what is it costing us if we don't stop and consult God? So he's the one, you know, do we want to consult the person, us, who makes some good decisions and some bad decisions? Or do we want to consult God who always makes good decisions, who has plans for us, the God who knit us together in our mother's womb, the God who has promised us things like, I am your strength, I will never leave you, I have plans for you to prosper, I hear your prayers, I will fight for you, I will give you peace, I will always love you. Those are the promises that I want in my life. Those are the things I want to be the guiding force in my life. So that's where I need to stop and take that moment and actually reflect and go, okay, God, what is it you want me to do here? But look, I'm also aware that in order to believe these promises and trust God, you, can't, you do have to know him and you have to have a relationship with him. So just, I want to take just a brief moment and just so if you're online and that's not something you've ever had before, I just want you to encourage you that there will be a raise hand button in chat. And so one of our team can take you into a private chat room and they'll talk with you and they'll pray with you. And if you're here in the service, after the service, there'll be people down here for prayer or I'll be down here at the front and we'll be more than happy to talk with you and pray with you on that. And so I think it's really important that we just take that moment to make sure that we're all in that same space. But then the question I have for all of us is, Proverbs is very clear in saying, once you trust in the Lord, then seek his will. So we need to ask ourselves, when was the last time we actually sought God to seek his will? Now, I'm not talking necessarily about just seeking confirmation in prayer of something that you wanted to do or something you wanted just saying, God, yeah, is this, is, this, is this the right thing for me to do? Because it's what I want to do, so I'm hoping you just say yes, and I'll just kind of close my eyes a little bit and just la, 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 yeah, yeah, I heard yes. But honestly stopped and asked God, what next? Which direction do I go? Where do you see me? Where do you need me? What do you want me to do? So I think those are some tough questions to ask God. Rather than saying, this is what I'm doing, is it okay? Saying, God, where? What next? You guide me. So what I want us to do is I just want us to take a minute or so and I want to sit here and I want us to just seek God in this moment and ask him some of those questions. Ask him to speak to you and start giving you guidance as to what next what is happening. Ask for some fresh insight into the direction of your life. Put aside any plans or dreams we may already have and just stop. Let's just all close our eyes. 
and just seek God and just ask Him, what is your will for my life? So you may have got a clear, a really clear picture in that moment. You may need to write something down. You may need to discuss it with somebody else in your life. But you may have also got nothing. And that's okay. My challenge to you is to keep trying, is to put aside time in your prayer time to ask God, what is your will for my life? Take some time to just sit and listen and seek Him and, and just trust that whatever it is you get, you need to know that it's from God. And, that it, and if it's from God, it aligns with who He is, which is compassionate, merciful, patient, loving, and faithful. So you can trust in that Word, you can trust in the promise, you can trust in God. So I want you to remember the evidence that we've seen of his character because he has shown us that he is trustworthy that he is constant consistent reliable faithful dependable steadfast unchanging unfailing it's who he is and he never changes so that's your challenge for this week and next week I'll be back and I'm going to go into uh, some of the more fun things about like what happens when things don't go the way we think they should or when we think you know trust has been broken. Essentially asking the question of why God did this happen to me? Um, so hopefully there's an answer there. We'll see. So I guess if you've ever thought that before, um, trust me, you don't want to miss it. Thank you.